Welcome to Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create your dream business so you can live the dream lifestyle that you want and deserve. Yes, success is not only possible, you deserve success. And now, welcome the dream business coach, Jim Palmer. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. All great things in any business. I am your host, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. As always, I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. I'm very excited about this week's show. My special guest is top sales expert, John Livesey. Let me tell you a little bit about John. He is, as I said, a top sales expert and funding strategist with over 20 years of experience. John hosts the Successful Pitch Podcast with investors from around the world, and he is the pitch mentor at StartFast.net, StartFast.net, pardon me, the number one accelerator in upstate New York. John gives startups the pitching secret to becoming irresistible to investors. Got to ask him about that. When John works with startups, they become master storytellers so they can inspire investors to join their team. He's also the author of The Seven Most Powerful Selling Secrets, which has been translated into Spanish and Russian. John, thank you so much for being my guest. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jim. It's great to be here, and we'll come up with some sticky things for your listeners to take away, hopefully. <laughs> some sticky things. You know, um, I love storytelling. I mean, that really is the essence of sales. People smell sales pitches a mile away, but they always get captivated by uh, by telling stories. When did you kind of discover that, fall into it, perfect it, or tell us a little bit about your journey? How about that for five questions in one? <laughs> well, you know, what's so interesting, let me start with the first part of your question is um, – selling versus storytelling. Um, I tell people, forget selling, tell stories instead. And everybody instantly relaxes because a lot of people are really uncomfortable, Jim, selling themselves. And it's part of, you have to sell yourself to get hired, to get into college, to get promoted, to get your startup funded, whatever you're doing. To get people to join your team if you're an entrepreneur. So you have to become comfortable selling yourself um, and a lot, to sell yourself to get customers. So if you can shift that mindset from thinking of selling as pushing your message on to people, and instead, telling a story that pulls people in, because you're absolutely right, people are intrigued with stories. It's in our DNA. You know, there's the left side of our brain, which is all numbers. And if someone says, okay, let me make a proposal to you and tell you how the numbers work, then you start analyzing it, right? Your arms might even get crossed and get defensive. But if you say, let me tell you a story, oh, you relax a little bit. Your imagination can kick in, your right side of your brain, you think, oh, this might actually be a little entertaining, and maybe there'll be a little drama or some suspense or something that will not cause me to have to, you know, analyze something. So people are, people remember your stories, which is your right side of your brain, and not your numbers, which is your left side. So that's the aha moment for me in my sales journey over the last 20-some years was really becoming aware that people – nobody wants to be sold to, and everybody enjoys stories. So if you can become a storyteller, as Plato said, storytellers rule the world, then – you're off and running to become a great salesperson through storytelling. So what was your early uh, career? Did you work for companies, and when did you become an entrepreneur? Yes. Um, I worked for Condé Nast for 15 years, selling ads for their 23 brands, which range everyone from Wired to GQ to Vanity Fair to Arc Digest, selling ads in print and digital and pre-roll video. And one of the things they were asked me to do was find startups to help them monetize their brands. 
and I found one called Hall Stars, which is a shoppable video player. The problem that solved was nobody was clicking on static banner ads, and with a rich media video that told a story, um, people could buy right from the video, and the denim companies were able to sell jeans as opposed to nobody clicking on the ad, let alone not buying it. But the problem I saw was that founder was not comfortable pitching. He was very left-brained, talking about how it all worked and the time stamping and didn't explain it in terms of this is the problem we're solving and this is an easy way to understand how to buy this and the pricing and all that stuff. So that's what made me decide, hmm, there's a huge problem of only 1% of pitches to investors get funded. And part of that problem is tech founders in particular are not experts at selling or storytelling because they're in the left side of their brain most of the time, analyzing. So I realized that's a huge opportunity, and I love helping tech startups get their dreams to become a reality, because when you get funded, everything changes. So the goal is helping them get funded. You're just teaching them the, a, a better way to do that. Yes. I mean, one of my clients uh, said to me, she was so frustrated. She goes, I'm just in, wasting time pitching to the wrong people. I'm in the wrong room. And I said, well, it's like trying to climb Mount Everest without a GPS. And so my business partner, Judy Robin, and I, we think of ourselves as Sherpas, getting people up that mountaintop much faster than they could on their own. Um, because there's more to getting funded than just a good pitch. You have to know your numbers, and you have to be in the right room and get the right money. You know, I've, I've coached everybody, entrepreneurs, small business owners, multimillionaires. I'll tell you the hardest people for me to coach are engineers because they're so, as you said, it's the numbers left uh -huh. side of the brain, I guess. And, you know, trying to teach somebody how to do a presentation, you know, with, with that kind of mindset, it's not easy. So it, how do you find that? Do you, I mean, do you help everybody or do you find that also? It's a little, it's a little harder trying to get people who are so analytical to loosen up a little bit. It is a little bit challenging, but if you give them examples and they can say, oh, okay, now I understand. And it's almost, you know, I try to use words that they can relate to. I said, okay, we're going to reverse engineer this. <laughs> and they go, oh, okay, now I've got my attention. I know what that is. Yeah. So I said, we're going to reverse engineer and think who could buy your company in three to five years that could give a three to five return on the investment to someone who invests with you. So we start thinking about that even before the company's in revenue. And then back it up from there. So I said to them, when you're pitching for funding, you're not pitching to get a customer. So it's not about the product demonstration. The investors invest in the jockey, not the horse. So they're investing in you and your ability to execute and possibly even pivot if the need. And so if you're given 10 minutes, don't waste five of it showing a product demo with the bells and whistles, even though that's what you're excited about. You've got to show some empathy and realize the investor is interested in how big the market is, what's, why you're the right person to execute it, and what kind of traction do you have, much more so than a product demo. So it's an educational process of shifting what's important, and then once they understand that, then I teach storytelling structure, which helps them understand, you know, if you like things to be programmed like a computer, there's ways you can program a story so that you follow these steps, and then you become a storyteller. So with the what you said there, invest in a jockey, not the horse. The jockey is obviously the the, the driver. Is that the driver the founder. for the business? Mm -hmm. not, right. Yeah, so they're not buying the company. They're buying the founder? Exactly, because, for example, one of the people I interviewed on my podcast, The Successful Pitch, told me they invested in Pinterest. And that was, you know, people said, we want to 
figure out a way to digitize the behavior of people putting pictures on the refrigerator with a magnet. So they got money to do that, and then nobody wanted to do it. And they said, oh, we were worried about the competition, and we forgot to worry about consumer indifference. So they had to pivot and figure out a way to create pin boards that celebrities could create and other people could follow. And then once they started doing that, then people were willing to create their own pin boards. So the idea will probably pivot. Uh, YouTube was originally a dating site, and then that team realized people like videos, but they don't like talking about themselves on video for dating. So you know they pivoted and renamed it. So it's, it's getting the right team that's in the right genre to execute um, and figure out if something's not working, how to change it. I've been around a long time. I never knew that. YouTube and its founding, um, kind of when it was getting started, was really made for dating? Yes. It wasn't called YouTube, but that was, that was the original idea. It's like, oh, instead of still photos on Match.com, we'll have people post videos of themselves talking, and that'll be a much better way of sense whether you want to go out with them or not. And, of course, people are too inhibited to, you know, date. <laughs> yeah. Make those videos. Hi, I'm Jim. You like me? <laughs> exactly. Um, and of course, this is way before you know the proliferation of Snapchat and all that other stuff. But um, and people right. taking all the selfies. So, so John, what makes a great pitch or a, a great story, or like, mm. would they be one and the same? Um, well, I think they are very connected. Um, certainly, a story is a big element. Uh, a good pitch starts off with grabbing your attention in the first ninety seconds. If you're only given ten minutes. People think, all right, I've got 10 minutes. And no, you really have 90 seconds. Because if you don't grab their attention in the first 90 seconds, you will, they won't invest their time to pay attention to what you're going to say the rest of the 10 minutes. So I tell people, um, we need to craft something that surprises us. You know, tell me something I don't already know. Or tell me something about you that makes you so memorable. For example, one of my clients, uh, Martin, he wasn't terribly confident pitching, and that's another key element of storytelling is you want to be confident but not arrogant. And I said, okay, Martin, let's stack your moments of certainty in your life. When you knew, you nailed it. We're going to write them all down and have you remember those before you go into pitch because pitching is like the Olympic moment of meetings. It's a Super Bowl of meetings. So you need to have your confidence up, and you can do that by stacking your moments of certainty and remembering all the good things that you've done in your life and have that in your head instead of all your fear and doubt. So Martin said, well, I grew up in the Netherlands, but I'm originally from South America. And when I turned 18, my parents took me back to South America and dropped me off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks because in my culture, that's the rite of passage into manhood. I said, oh, my God, guess what? We just found the opening to your pitch. That gives me goosebumps. Mm. I said, what did you learn in the Amazon jungle? He goes, well, I learned how to focus and pivot and persevere. I said, great. And we're going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when we had that honed and practiced, he won a pitch contest and got funded. Because the investors, when they're putting their head down at night on their pillow, they say, I'm going to put my money on that guy that survived the Amazon jungle because he'll deal with anything that comes along. How was how uh, his confidence? I mean, it's, so it's kind of, that's why you work with a coach, right? So they're helping them, they help you see the forest through the trees. Yeah. So would was his confidence good, and he just you just taught him the practical skills, or do you also well he, he uh, was confident in his business, but he never pitched for money before. So anytime we try something new, our confidence isn't very high, and you need to practice it. And um, most people think they can wing it, and of course that never works. So I needed to first get him confident, figure out what his story was going to be that would make him memorable, and prove 
that he had the tenacity and grit to execute this idea because you can't just stand up there and say, hey, my name is Martin and I've got tenacity and grit. You have to tell a story that shows that. Mm -hmm. And then once we've grabbed the audience's attention, then we start talking about the problem and the solution that you have and how big the market is so that the investors get even more excited and interested. One example is Cole Smith. He has a military background and has a platform to help keep schools safe during medical emergencies or, God forbid, another shooter. So we worked with him on his confidence, his pitch, explaining, you know, gun shooting in schools is in the news. This is a big problem. The old way of doing it is, you know, parents calling each other, but now the app allows everyone to get informed instantly, including all the first responders, and sends a map of where the school is with color coding so they know exactly where to go, whether it's a medical emergency so the ambulance doesn't waste time at the front desk or the police know where to go and what rooms are safe and not safe. So that getting him that confident to explain that story and then go into you know his financial model and what makes him different from the competition, you know that prepares him to get in front of the right investor that we know. And um, we did that, and he got invited to pitch to an angel group, and it was 10 minutes of pitching and 10 minutes of Q&A. And again, having a good pitch isn't enough. You have to be able to answer the questions. And if you're a deer in headlights with the questions, you'll, you won't get funded either. So we prepare people with the kinds of questions you're going to get asked, like, you know, what does it cost to go acquire a customer? You know, what are you going to do to prevent the competition from stealing this idea? That kind of stuff. Um, but now I'm happy to say he's in due diligence with not one but two investors because we've worked with him through that whole process. Wow. We, we've certainly seen examples of not knowing your numbers on Shark Tank. Yeah. <laughs> we've seen people melt down there. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful, yeah, take them to the woodshed. And, right. Oh. So being prepared is a key to anything. It's, you know, yeah. Arthur said the key to success is confidence, and the key to confidence is preparation. So you got to prepare. You know, you have to know your customers. You have to know the investors. And, you know, the more you show empathy for your customers and your investors, the more likely you are to have credibility and get funded. Very interesting. So what is the best way to meet investors, and, and then how do you prepare for that type of meeting? Mm. Well, the best way to meet investors is through warm introductions. And one investor said, um, you know, if you can't figure out a way to get a warm intro to me, you probably can't figure out how to find your customers. So obviously, you know, Judy wrote, Robin wrote a great book, How to Be a Power Connector, where she talks about the importance of your network and how to connect with people and get those intros. But because I interview so many investors on my podcast who are all looking for good deals, I'm able to vet people and help them say, you know, I have somebody I think who has a great idea. I would invest in this person and their idea, and they will take a meeting because I, they trust and know me. So people have to like trust and know you before they invest in you. And a warm introduction of someone else they already know, like, and trust is really the key and best way to get in. John, have you have you ever taken anybody um, from like super nervous, like you know, palms, sweaty palms, things like mm -hmm. that, into a you know into massive confidence levels? Yes, um, oftentimes you can. The progress is so rewarding, Jim, because you see somebody who is really nervous, and part of the nervousness is worrying about the outcome and what do these people think of me, and I'm not practiced enough, and I'm. So one of the key ways to boost your confidence is to practice. Um, another is stacking your moments of certainty. There's also something called the superhero pose. Have you heard about this? No, please tell me. 
Um, Harvard research studies have shown that if you stand like Superman or Wonder Woman or whatever with the cape billowing in your background in your head and your head up and your shoulders back and your hands on your hip, you got the image? Mm -hmm. It literally increases your testosterone in both men and women and lowers your cortisol stress level. And if you hold this for two minutes, you will be more confident. They've done studies where they had people shoot baskets and then hold that pose for two minutes and then shoot baskets and they actually dunk more baskets. Some doctors do this before surgery. So there's lots of little things that all add up to boosting your confidence. So if you stack your moments of certainty while you're holding the superhero pose and you practice your pitch, you're really going to be much more confident than you would have without doing all that. Is that as much about the Superman pose about visualization, or do you think there's some physiological thing like when they pull the shoulders back and does it? Yeah, it's, you it's know, telling your body, I can do this. It's physiological, okay. like the testosterone level going up and the cortisol stress level going down. You become the superhero in your own life, basically, and you tell your, yourself, you know, instead of cowering, your body language sends um, messages to your brain, which releases all those positive um, hormones to say, oh, I can do this, game on. And so it's, it's, a, it's integrating it because part of nerves, you know, your hand shaking or what have you, or as I like to say, you know, the goal is not to get rid of the butterflies in your stomach, but to get them to fly in formation. Mm. So you want to get the nervous energy out of your stomach and into, out into the room with a gesture or make a, you know, make a stand and move somewhere and stay grounded. So the more you do all those physical things, the more your confidence level and your nerves go down. And then people feel like, oh, this guy's a leader or this woman's a leader. Yeah. Ne remember the commercials, never let him see you sweat. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going on, on the inside. Just, you know, you got, you got to project that confidence. So and we talked a lot. It sounds like you do a lot of work with people who are, um, you know, getting, getting ready to uh, work with investors or find investors. How about just, you know, your average entrepreneur or salesperson, things like that? Can, how can storytelling help increase sales? Sure. Well, um, I work with a large architectural um, interior design firm, and those people are trained as architects, but they still have to go and pitch um, to get hired to either design an office or build a skyscraper. And they don't, need, they don't have storytelling skills either. So I tell them, you know, start with you know, realizing that people have to trust you. That's a gut thing. Then they have to like you. That's a hard thing. And then they go into their head, and, and the question that they're asking themselves is, Will what you're telling me you do work for me? And the best way to show that what you have to offer is, is to tell a story. You say, you know, I had another client just like you. They had a law office that was dark and people weren't being as productive and they couldn't retain good talent. And what they did after we redesigned it and they had more modern feel and sunlight coming in, the worker productivity went up, people started attracting new clients, and it's all because we, you know, totally shifted um, the design which um, made their workers more productive and attracted new clients. Does that sound like a journey you'd like to go on? So, see, you're you're telling a story of someone in their very similar position of how, what the transformation, and that's really the key, is people buy transformation, not information. So when you tell a story, make sure there's some before and after, right? Hmm. What is there a secret to how long a good story is, and and how many do you have? I remember uh, I forget who it was. It might have been somebody like Dan Kennedy said it's easier to find a new uh, crowd than it is to keep coming up with a great speech or presentation. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Do you do you kind of have one or two or three good things and in, in arrows in your quiver, maybe, or or do you just have a bunch? Are you talking about me personally, or as uh, salespeople? Are 
pitching. Yeah, like if you're if you're training somebody, I mean, you know, yeah. if you're, I can imagine if you're if you're a startup and you're, you know, you're trying to pitch an investor, you probably got one or two, maybe at the most, and that's your thing. You just go from investor to investor. What if you're in sales? How many stories do you kind of have to mm. have nailed down? Well, the longer you're in it, the more stories you have, right? And you want to keep the stories fresh. Um, you know, stories. The length of stories, you know, as long as you retain the interest, the, the structure is there's exposition, who, what, where, when. Um, an example of Martin, you know, sometimes when he was practicing that, he would forget to say that it's a rite of passage in his culture to be left in the Amazon jungle naked for two weeks. And I said, if you don't say that, it sounds like child abuse. <laughs> so you have to have enough exposition that you paint the picture of where it's happening what, and all that so people feel like they're in the story. And then there has to be some kind of problem in his case, he was naked in the jungle. And then the solution, he survives. And then the outcome from survive, the solution is the moral of the story. You know, he won a pitch contest and got funded because he had something memorable that grabbed the heartstrings of the investors. So that story wasn't that long, but it had all those elements of the structure that makes a good story. Do you help people also, um, John, when they they do want to become a speaker, paid speaker, keynote, or, or things like that? I mean, I think that's I think that's when storytelling is is hugely important as well. And you say uh, people decide the first ninety seconds. I think when you're a speaker, people decide in the first nine seconds or something. Yes. You know whether they're going to look down at their phone or keep looking at you. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I have done some of that kind of training as well because, you know, when you're getting up and pitching. Um, for funding for 10 minutes in front of a room full of investors, that's public speaking. Um, so the same skills apply um, whether you're going to be going on television or getting in front of a room um, to inspire a group of, of people. Um, everyone has to be have good communication skills in their career these days. It's just assumed uh, that if you're going to get it all promoted, you're going to be speaking in front of people. So these skills are applicable across the board. What 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 should you look for if you're uh, let's say you're a growing entrepreneur and you and you want to hire a team? I mean, do you as the owner, you know, slash wearer of many hats, um, do you mm-hmm. look for people with these kind of skills or or do you you know? I mean, the great mantra is you know you, you look for attitude and, and train the skills. Yeah. Do you do you ever do work for companies like that who say I got a great guy, but go teach him how to be a storyteller slash <laughs> sales presenter or what? Right. Well, I think one of the key elements. Um, to building a good team is to define what your brand is and what your culture is. And once you define who you are versus who, and also to say is who you're not, right? So this is not for people who need a lot of micromanaging. This is a culture that's very nimble and there's not a lot of structure and people have to be self-starters. So that sort of automatically filters out a lot of people. They're like, oh, that's, that's not me. So you you really but if you you can't know that when you're interviewing people to join your team until you have decided what you stand for, and you have to have the same values and the same work ethic, and the same purpose. You have to be able to explain your vision and your purpose to attract really good people. And once you do that, then you have to see how coachable they are, what kind of um, skills they have, emotional intelligence to get along with others, um, not point fingers and blame other people. So those are the characteristics that are more important for the most part than skills that could be taught later. Gotcha. Um, I got time for one more question here. I'll sneak in. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you um, how do do you help people with elevator speeches or elevator yeah. pitches? You know, the, the thirty second, like if you're a networking yeah. function or something uh-huh. like that. How does how does that work? Well, I tell people 
there's a couple of different ways to do that. You can have a 30-second elevator pitch or, or more of a conversational one at a cocktail party. Um, the elevator pitch, the 30-second one version, basically is, oh, what do you do? You want to answer that, Jim, by saying, here's who I help and what problem I solve. Almost everything that people do can be funneled through that filter. Say that 10 times. <laughs> who do I help and what problem do I solve? So in the case of Crack the Funding Code, Judy and I help tech CEOs struggling with their investor pitch to become irresistible so they get funded fast. So that took a lot of work and practice to be able to get that pretty short and concise. And the whole goal of that is so people say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. So it's not right. about telling people how you do it. It's just to intrigue them enough to want to know more. Which is copywriting 101, by the way. <laughs> job mm -hmm. of the headline, get them to read the first line. Get job of that word and that headline, get them to read the next line. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Keep it going. Yep, exactly. Very cool. Well, it sounds like you got a, uh, a a pretty good business. Are there are there a lot of startups these days, and are most of them oh my in gosh, the tech yes. field? Or, yeah. <laughs> well, that's why Shark Tank is so popular. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that um, have decided they don't want to work for corporate America anymore. There's a lot of millennials that don't ever want to do corporate America and want to have their own business and think, you know, I have a, a solution uh, to a problem and I have the skills to fix it, whether it's an app or whatever else it's going to be, or they just want to own their own business. So, yes, um, entrepreneurship is definitely on the rise, and especially with the new crowdfunding law that just passed where um, people can, you know, who are not, quote, accredited investors can now invest in startups. It's going to just skyrocket. Very cool. Hey, John, how can uh, people learn more about you and, and uh, connect with you? Sure. Well, if your listeners want to text the word funding to 66866, I will email them a free PDF of the three mistakes to avoid when you're pitching. 66866 funding. And my email is john at johnlivesay.com. And my website's johnlivesay.com. And my Twitter handle is at john underscore livesay, L I V E S A Y. I think I see a theme there. <laughs> yeah, there's a theme, and a successful pitch podcast is another way to follow and track me. Hey, John, fun talking with you, man. Thank you so much for being on my program. My pleasure, Jim. Great to talk to you. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode of Stick Like Glue Radio with top sales expert John Livesey. Remember, Stick Like Glue is the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. I am committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. That is a wrap for this week. Come back this time next week for another great episode of Stick Light Glue Radio. Until then, keep taking action, keep moving forward, and don't ever, ever, ever give up. Take care, everybody. For more information and free resources on how to create your dream business, connect with Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, at www.getjimpalmer.com. And be sure to check out Dream Business Coach TV, powerful two-minute videos filled with Jim's unique smart marketing and business building advice. See them all at www.dreambizcoach.tv. That's www.dreambizcoach.tv. See you next week for more Stick Like Glue Radio. And remember, success is not only possible, you deserve success.